0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: How's it going? And welcome to episode 85 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the wire pod. And if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam. Howe. you can follow me on the Twitter at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. Once again, joined by Kevin Hasting, who should be followed on the Twitter himself at HastingKevin. Kevin and Kevin we wasted no time. man. you just landed pretty much <laughs> back home from, from Arizona, spent the whole weekend, immersed in baseball and we just, we couldn't wait any longer. We had a way to get down to Mike, do a bonus episode. We're going to put this out on Thursday instead of Sunday. Don't worry. We still have an episode coming out on Sunday as well, but man, we couldn't, we couldn't wait to get right back at it. Huh? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I walked in the door about 14 hours ago. And amazing as always. And Mike Carter put out a great tweet yesterday about how much, how awesome of a program in general Baseball HQ puts out, and thanking everybody. And I'd like to echo that sentiment. And it's just it absolutely amazing. And it they are very adamant about the survey they want all of the attendees to fill out every year, and it is one hundred percent easy to see how much they take that into account. I haven't been there nearly as many times as some This was my third trip, but it does improve every year as well as awesome as it was before they make little tweaks. It's just, they obviously put many hours and time into the program. It's amazing.
1: Yeah, I couldn't say enough about all the things that I saw and that I read on Twitter and the tweets, the photos, the videos and all I saw following Michael Govier's videos throughout the weekend was all you needed, really. And mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, but in general, it I, there literally, I couldn't find a negative thing. And people will find a way to say a negative thing when it exists and you couldn't find it, couldn't find it. right? did a search, couldn't find it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, exactly.
1: So- yeah, well, like I said, we're this a little bonus episode we decided to because so last year during first pitch Arizona, a, a recap basically first pitch Arizona, one of the premier fantasy baseball centric conferences in the country put on by Baseball HQ. You can find information over there on their website as well. Happens every year, right around this time. I think what last year, two years ago, it was in, it ended up being in September instead during the season, just because that's just where the, the fall star, the Arizona Fall League started. They did that a little differently, but usually it's in late October into November or at some point. So it's something... I know I would love to be able to do, and I'm going to really strive to be able to get my ducks in a row and get out there next year, but we've referenced it a lot. I just want to make sure everybody is aware of what this is. How many people roughly Kevin, if you, I don't think I
2: heard, I don't think I heard a number this year. I have heard numbers in the past and I think there was at least that many there this year. And that's over 400. (laughs) It felt like there was more this year and that would be, easy to believe with what's been going on in the world for the past two or three years since I've been going. So yeah, my, if I had to guess, I would say if they didn't go over, they were probably approaching 500.
1: Yeah. Just like any, but like any other conference that you might've been on for in your line of work, it, there's panels, there's events, there's social gatherings, there's baseball. It's like I yeah, said, it's during the, the Arizona actual games.
2: <laughs> I think they we're talking about it leading up to it that aspect gets left out a little bit. We're actually going to a lot of baseball games while we're there as well for the Arizona fall league, including this year, first time they've done a home run derby that was on Saturday evening. And then the fall stars game on Sunday, which technically the conference was over because they had moved the Mm -hmm. fall stars game to due to World Series schedule, but uh, a lot of people were able to stick around for that on Sunday.
1: Yeah, it was like nice. they even pushed back, I think you told me, they pushed back the start time of the game in lieu of a possible game seven that was going to happen that night. Yeah, they so,
2: moved it to the afternoon.
1: Hopefully that allowed some people with later flights on Sunday that they could actually stay for at least a portion of the game, if not the whole thing. Lucky for them. And there was no game seven, so not wasn't needed right. to miss anything. Best of both worlds, really, in my mind. Well, we're going to talk about, we noticed that the steamer projections, which are typically one of, if not the first projections that are published out in, in the wild, were last year they were announced during first pitch Arizona, if I remember correctly. And this year, it's like literally the day after we, start, we started seeing them trickle into the Fangraph site on the back end. We looked this morning and we started noticing that they were on the player pages as well, along with the, the depth charts for playing time. So we want to, we want to dive into those a little bit Let's talk about some players that kind of stood out, especially in comparison to other players, Expect when we're looking at this early ADP that we have on the NFBC, like I said, mostly draft champions style league. So those 15 teamers draft and holds anytime anybody says ADP at this time of year, that's all they're talking about. I just want to specify it one more time but Kevin I want to I want to live vicariously through you a little bit more <laughs> as far as your experience was that first pitch. We don't have any news to go over so let's utilize this section of the pod. Give me give me some brief like highlights of what you experienced. I know I'm not going to ask you to like give away any of the panel discussions. I like, that's why you pay, that's why you go, right? That's I'm not going to try to take anything away from that. If you want the details of that, you need to sign up, you need to go. And but in general What was the thing that kind of stood out to the most, besides the fact that you were able to go to so many baseball games live?
2: One thing to me, I'm not a scout. I, and some things that when I'm reading what those that are, and or those that, that do put in film work with prospects, I don't necessarily see the things they see. Jordan Walker looks like a different player, even when it's not any action in the game than the other guys that are there. He looks like a major league baseball player playing, quite frankly, with some guys that probably will not be. He does look like level above everybody there, else there. And then in, in the play, he did play well and smoked some baseballs. The guy that, that was getting a lot of hype right before first pitch Arizona, Matt Burvis did not disappoint. And in fact, really impressed me. We know about the strikeout rates, but during the fall stars game, he hit a bomb.
1: I saw saw that video. Eric cross posted a video. Yeah. And
2: and I love it when a young hitter (laughs) could, will show that much power the opposite way. That was like, Oh, like we were already paying attention to this guy. And I was like, Oh, maybe we need to pay even more attention because people were joking last week about he's already got the helium and we mm-hmm. haven't even got the first pitch yet. <laughs> the, I, the helium did not slow down.
1: No. He turned the heat on the hot air balloon <laughs> and it just kept on going. Yeah, I guess. Yes. I, it sound, It reminds me of everything I heard from when Pete Alonzo uh, was in the fall star game against Nate Pearson and Nate Pearson's throwing 100 to 102 or whatever. And Alonzo just took it like deep yes. dead center and it was just like, eye popping what you're talking to me about mervis sounds a lot like what we heard with Alonzo D- different prospects sure but the power is right there exactly what about in the conference like I said I'm not going to ask you for specific details was there any kind of feel or kind of anything you took away from it as the was it last year or two years ago or whenever it was Zach Allen was a talk of the town. Like everybody would, that's all anybody wanted to talk about in any panel, at least from what I heard. Was there a player like that this year that, whether people were talking on a good note or bad note, doesn't matter, that really stood out?
2: Not a player is really sticking out to me much, but more of a couple of general strategy things. And it's at least one that we have touched on here. I get the general feeling that. We're looking at many fantasy players are going to fortify their pitching staffs and their bench with pitchers and streaming hitters is going to become even more prevalent than even we have suggested that maybe it should. I think in general, that was a big takeaway I had.
1: Yeah, that's not too surprising. Streaming pitching was awful last year, especially in a 15-teamer. It was downright near impossible most weeks. That's still our job throughout the season is to find those diamonds in the rough that might be available, but uh, it wasn't easy. So I can understand why that might be the sentiment across the industry. So we'll see how, as drafts start moving into the the free, the fab style leagues, how that turns out.
2: In fact, so we do later in the off season, like we really start concentrating on ADP and do we take schedules of the first Mm -hmm. couple of the weeks in the season into account enough and draft guys at the end of our draft that we would typically in season be picking up in fab just for the next week or two. And there were suggestions that we may want to start doing that as early as like round 15 in drafts. And I I started thinking about that and it makes sense. If we feel strongly about the matchups and the plate appearances or innings that we expect a guy to get, maybe we need to, we're not drafting a guy just for that first week or two. I don't think yet at that point, but we should be taking schedule into account earlier in the draft than we have in the past.
1: And we're going to be talking about one of these projections, the team projections, they are all season, right? And so if you yep. get to a point in the draft where you need to build your team for a certain part of the season, I'm a proponent that especially at the top of your draft, you could start if you're in a head to head league, start considering your September schedule as well to maximize as many plate appearances or innings pitch in in that scenario, because those are the players you're not going to drop, they're going to be on your playoff roster, they're still going to be good enough to be on your team all season long and get Hopefully. you to the playoffs, right? <laughs> that's yeah. a theory. But if you can look to see what hitters aren't going to have seven games in the first week of your playoffs or the second week or the championship, if you can see yourself getting that far, that's something to consider as well. You can't just look at the year-long projections. You did a draft. You did a draft at first pitch. Usually you do the auction, as you mentioned. You did a, a draft to, to the draft champions, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. How'd that go?
2: It went pretty well. I was pretty happy. One funny thing, right? There are not many projections out there yet, at least the publicly available for free. We're not available yet as we were drafting, but we did have a little bit of ADP. Uh, I think it was still at the 12 completed drafts that it, that we talked about last episode. Mm-hmm. I think that was still the ADP at the time. But in general, it went pretty well. One specific thing, we hear Nick Pollock talk often about have your four foundational players. And I, after my draft, I asked him about one of the guys that's going to come up here later in the show. And I think in a very supporting what I asked Nick about, <laughs> I, I, I really like my first three. Is John Gray good enough to be my fourth in that scenario, the way you like for people to construct their teams? And he gave me a big thumbs up, made me feel good. (laughs) And especially with, like I said, what we're going to talk about here in a little bit, this kind of uh, more confirmation bias (laughs) to make (laughs) me feel a little bit. Better about my pitching and
1: Yeah. Nick tends to be on the positive side. If you listen yeah. to the on the corner that he did at first pitch, he talks about that. Miles actually made him talk negatively about a couple of pitchers. And he sounded very uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> but um,
2: it's not in his nature at it,
1: all. It is an interesting strategy. I do believe that when Nick talks about that. And he can correct me on the side if he wants, but he is most of Nick's advice. His rankings, everything is based toward 12 teamers and 12 team leagues that aren't draft and holds. So either both your head to heads, your rotos or what have you. And so he's talking, I also think he's talking about building that base of your rotation with the four guys you're not going to drop throughout the season, or at least you hope you're not going to have to drop and you're going to be streaming out these draft and holds. Yeah. You have a long bench and you can go in and out from there. But I don't know. I think you need more than four in a draft and hold scenario where you're really basing most of your season on how many innings you're going to get out of these stronger pitchers. In your and position. that's
2: part of it too. If he would be happy with those four in a 12 team mm. Fab League, then that to me, okay, this is a good start in for, a 15. Or, oh, absolutely. For my draft
1: and hold, yeah, especially a 15 teamer. Yeah. All right, man. That all sounds amazing. I can't wait to go next year and hear this Kevin's unofficial review of First Pitch Arizona. And
2: uh, <laughs> one, one more thing before we get away from this, and I, I think part of it was it was my third time there, of course. Part of it, like I said, I think there were a few more people there, but you never hear anything bad from anybody about the people you meet, the people you hang out with, the conversations that take place outside of the meetings at the games, in the hallways, at the poker table, sitting out at the pool, even though it was not warm enough in Arizona <laughs> this guess. year to get in the pool. I think I got better weather
1: um, in Indianapolis than that, I get here was you the guys are com- getting. Yes,
2: people come in from your part of the country, the Northeast, it's warmer at home. But I, there was even more of that this year for me. I spent a lot of time with people I had never met before. It's amazing. I feel like I came away with more real life friends than I had when I arrived.
1: It's so awesome. Nice. That is, that's what you go for, right? And we all live in our little internet bubbles and whatnot. And to be able to like spend some time, especially after the last couple of years that we've had, that's kind of stopped us from doing it as much as probably some of us would like. And it's just nice to be able to, do that whether you did it by yourself you did it with your family or you did it with your with friends in maybe you're lucky enough you have some people in the industry that you see on a regular basis and you're able to go as a big group it's just amazing to be able to hear that everybody's so welcoming and everybody's so happy to see everybody that they either listen to their podcasts or read their work or they talk to them in chats or whatever it is and so
2: I may or may not have volunteered you for future podcasts with other people, <laughs> but I don't think you'll have an issue with that. You like me, you you don't need an excuse to talk baseball.
1: No, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing about it though. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> you did it so you did a draft. Last thing I'm going to say before we move on, just as a reminder everybody listening, you did this Draft Champions Draft in Arizona. It's not the only drafts that's happening early on. We are still accepting pre-registrations for our on the wire listener leagues. We've had a, a very um We've had a lot of people register, which has been awesome. It's amazing. We are on track to having possibly double the amount of drafts that we did last year. We had five last year. So we are on track to maybe hitting 10. That's our new goal. And it's not going to be difficult based on the the reception it's gotten so far. So if you haven't registered yet, we haven't started yet. We're going to do the first draft this month. As soon as the NFBC switches over, they're still technically the site's still in 2022 mode. That, that happened overnight. Your site, leagues, your 2022 leagues are gone. Gone. All right. Yeah. I should probably look this stuff up before I start <laughs> blabbing. They just switched over. So as soon as, I, I think Derek is off until Thursday. I saw him tweet that yeah. out, that Derek... Yeah. Who puts our leagues together? He is off until Thursday, Derek. If you're listening, please reach out to me as soon as you are <laughs> you are ready to go. But we will be getting that set up as soon as possible. There are, I think, two or three more openings in this first draft. As soon as the league fills, we will get it activated, and we're gonna we're gonna draft. It's gonna be two hour two hour draft timer with a normal twelve teamer Fab League thousand dollar fab all the normal nfbc platform rules and regulations as far as roster construction goes position eligibility all that and every single league we do is on the nfbc so there will be an overall component it's for fun it's for bragging rights there's no monetary but there is monetary compensation for the top three winners of each league so it is a 50 dollar buy-in plus whatever minimal fees there are with the nfbc for processing and stuff like that ends up being like 52 and change or 53 or something like that and the top three will get paid out we'll see what that is in my, I am sure it's not going to be different, but I think it was 400, 150, 50. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. Or, something or, like or, that. No, it was 100 for second place. Cause I got second place in a couple of them. Ah, sigh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but yeah. So I One think thing
2: I like to bring up when, it, when people ask about this, if you're new to NFBC or you have dabbled a little bit, done a cut line, a DC, the easiest way for me to explain these leagues are the rules are exactly the same as the 12 to 12 team rotowire online championships, yep. but at a lower price point. So it's a nice way to, to start jumping in and getting used to the format.
1: Yeah. You could do seven of our leagues for the same price. You could do <laughs> right. one online championship. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but yeah, so if you do the online championship, so our, these leagues are great for practice. If nothing else, use it to yeah. practice. Uh, even if you don't do the November one or December one, do the January one before you sign up for your actual OC. Reach out, you can find a link to register as our pinned tweet over at on the wire pod. So check that out, let us know. And we'll get going as soon as as soon as we get those leagues set up. All right, that's like A weird ad break. It's not really an ad break. You don't get anything out of that. So it's not like anything. So we're going to go into our actual ad break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about some players that stood out with these new steamer projections for 2023. All right, we are back. You are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings. We're talking about some of the v- interesting players that stood out in the initial 2023 steamer projections that uh, kind of just snuck their way into Fangraphs the other day. They are now on the player pages, as Kevin pointed out to me earlier before we started recording, which was nice, good timing. And But it was nice because it was like, If you were paying attention, which I really wasn't, I just saw somebody else tweet about it on Monday and, oh, wait, are they there? And it was really confusing because if you go to, if you go to the projection site on FanGraphs, it still says, it might not, by the time this comes out, it might've updated it, but it still says 2022. And so I'm tweeting out something and I've got the people like, where are they? I'm like, they're hidden. They're, they're hidden behind the 2022 banner. So just ignore that. They're definitely in there. You guys got some rookies in there that obviously weren't projected for 20 something home runs in 2022. So it's obviously 2023 and they're on the player pages now. You can trust that. I'm sure that these will be adjusted, whether they're adjusted based on as players get signed, as they get cut, as they get traded, whatever happens in the off season, these things are going to be adjusted. So take some of this with a little bit of a grain of salt and we'll mention them when we talk about some of these players as well, our concerns of what might change. But uh, we'll, let's get it. Re- I put some players together, Kevin, that by position. So I took two two players for each position, compared them to what Steamer has them projected to do. And in the fact that they are going so far apart in current with current ADP. So a lot of questions that have to do with these. I'm going to push you to answer most of them. I'll give my two cents in there if it exists. But What I want to know on each one of these guys is how much do you trust the projections for each one of them? And and I put these together for you next to their 2022 stats as well. And which of the two do you trust the most? Because a lot of these are identical. (laughs) They're pretty close, even though they might be going- That
2: was the most shocking thing when I looked at your list. Some of these are, yes, they look like, the same player they should be going uh, back which to back. is what we're
1: looking yep. for though right right this is the also comment why take player a when you can take player b 20 rounds later that's exactly what this is yeah. and then what kind of impact do you think these kind of projections are going to have on adp of these players is it going to push player a down is it going to push player b up obviously there are other players going around them in drafts as well they're not just you're not just considering these two players but maybe you should be So let's, let's go around the horn. We'll start with catcher because it's first on this list. So first up is Wilson Contreras for the Cubs going sixth. He's a sixth catcher off the board. He's going overall at 104, just over the hundred mark. That's about the mid ninth round. All these are referencing 15 teamers. So if I say around, we're talking 15 teamers, obviously going to be a little bit earlier if you're considering this in a 12 teamer. But then a couple rounds later, about five rounds later, you've got Sean Murphy. He's the 11th catcher off the board going around 164. And Steamers got them both for 21 home runs. They're only got a one run differential. They have only a three RBI differential. Stolen bases are negligible here. And they are 0.001 off on average. So both around 238, 239 And I'm just talking straight out production numbers that you care about in your five-by-five leagues. There's a whole bunch of underlying stuff that you can get into. But Sean Murphy, we talked about in the last episode as a non-tender candidate for the A's, or at least I did, trade candidate, rumors, you might not be playing for the A's. The major difference here for these two guys was plate appearances that we saw from each one of them last year. Sean Murphy leading catchers at 612 plate appearances, if I'm not mistaken. Wilson, Wilson Contreras did not break the 500 plate appearance mark, even though I think he was the one that a lot of people thought would get extra plating time due to the DH being in the National League. One of the few catchers that we thought was kind of almost guarantee to get that. He missed some time throughout the season that kind of cut that cut into that opportunity. But Steamer has Sean Murphy, 595 plate appearances to Contreras is 558. So same questions. It's like in two catcher leagues, why draft Contreras when you can wait on Sean Murphy? Great question. Uh, A
2: lot of this will have to do. We expect both of these guys to be with a new team and the projections will adjust when that happens but for right now yeah great question and i think the answer is you do wait and try to get sean murphy in this instance it's the thing as you mentioned the plate appearance drop or negative compared to sean murphy for wilson Contreras. it wasn't the way he was used by the cubs it was he missed a little bit of time or I think it would have been closer as we anticipated going into 2022. Yeah. I think one thing we, Sean Murphy almost definitely is going to be in a better ballpark and he is 100% going to be in a better lineup. Right? So I, I think that even adds to this as much as I'm trust the projections, don't adjust them. That's probably accounted for. It just gives me more confidence in buying that the projections, at least at this point, this one projection system, that's the other thing. As we start seeing more and more come out and compare them. And then of course we see Ariel Cohen's ATC combine them all together in February. That's amazing. But for right now, what we're looking at, I 100% buy the take Sean Murphy four or five rounds later.
1: Yeah. I don't, and I don't think that's going to hold. I don't think that's going to hold, especially with the stipulation that we all believe Sean Murphy is going to be going to be traded or non-tendered or wh- not going to be with Oakland anymore. But with that being said, I do believe that him being in Oakland is baked into these current projections. As if you go to the, the actual projection page, he's, Oakland is the team listed next to Sean Murphy, whereas Will Contreras doesn't have a team. And so there's going to be that option for adjustment on these projections based on where Sean Murphy goes, like you said, if he goes anywhere else, he's guaranteed to be in a better situation. As it's as simple as that. He's also not a guy that's going to. I think he. I don't think Sean Murphy has a risk of moving too far down any lineup, unless it's like. Atlanta, maybe, or or the Dodgers. But those aren't options for a catcher. We we wouldn't care
2: if he was hitting a couple spots lower in those lineups. Exactly. And the other thing that we do need to remember, Sean Murphy is not a free agent. Oakland could tender him a contract. They could go to arbitration or they could settle prior to the hearings and agree on a contract and then him still be moved. But after the season starts. Mm -hmm. So that is a possibility with Sean Murphy as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've, uh, in his situation right now, as I said, Steamer still has him at 595 plate appearances. That's barely down from his 617 that he actually put put up. So they're pretty confident that if he's with Oakland all season, uh, he's still going to get that volume behind the plate combined with his DH. Obviously they have Shane Long in right behind him, both as backup to both the DH spot and the catcher position. And so they have a nice little tandem in that situation right now. So I don't think the playing time's a concern, I also, pro- I can't see why the playing time would be that much of a concern if he moved to another team as well. I'm sure there's going to be a team that he's not the best option at DH. And so he just becomes a 70-30 split behind the plate. So maybe he loses a little bit of plate play appearances in that way. But I think in general, that might actually be a good thing with a 238 average being projected. Maybe you don't want as many plate appearances out of him. So that doesn't hurt you as much down the line.
2: Yeah, it, it's if it's if the games you lose are the wrong the lower side of any platoon splits you have or matchups that the team believes in and you're still getting all of these counting stats but less at bats for that batting average to matter then that that's a plus
1: yeah 2022 murphy didn't really have very strong splits so who's to say that that's Mm -hmm. the that ends up happening but sure matchups are still matchups All right, let's move on to our first base position that kind of stood out to me here. We're going to go Christian Walker. He seems to be in the early going kind of a talk of of the industry in this respect. Both these guys actually are. Christian Walker currently going as the 11th first baseman off the board, overall 149. It's about the end of the 12th round. Joey Manessis. Uh, who's where we're going to put him side by side with Washington, made that late career breakout from the minors, finally got an opportunity with the Nationals after being traded from San Diego and ran with it. We, We all saw the memes. We all saw the we all saw the statistical tweets and what have you. He's currently going as the 25th first baseman off the board, so more than likely being drafted as a corner in most scenarios or possibly even a DH. 222 overall hasn't quite broken into the top 200, like our boy Matt Mervis is going to be doing very soon. And that's about the top of the 19th round in these 15 teamers. So looking at the team of projections, they're both at 91 RBIs. They're right at 80, 78 runs scored, 28, 29 home runs, respectively. The average, the only thing that kind of teeters a little bit with a uh, walker estimated to have a 252 average through 644 plate appearances and meneses at 264 through 651. So really at this point in the draft too that's slightly negligible as well. It's a good nice little boost to meneses, but is it I mean if anything all of this kind of points your way toward Joey Manessas being a huge value, especially when you compare him to the rising Walker in Arizona, who obviously should have everyday playing time for the Diamondbacks, both at first base and DH throughout the course of the 2023 season. Are you, if you're, if you still don't have a first baseman, first of all, is Manessas based on these projections, good enough to be a starting first baseman for you? Or in in that respect, are you skipping Walker at this point in the draft 11th, sorry, the 12th round and waiting all the way until around pick 200 or so and grabbing Manessas as your starting first baseman based on the fact that they could put up the same numbers?
2: The first thing that comes to mind for me when I see this is, this, this is a popular guy right now. Not everybody. You hear a few negatives out there, but he was a name that came up quite often this weekend. And then there, there were people on both sides, but the thing that sticks out to me here, we know typically most of these projection systems, including steamer are pretty conservative when projecting the, these, I'll say younger player. (laughs) Yeah. With Manessas, he's not young, but you know what i'm getting at and they they are they're pulling way back his slugging dropping from 563 in 2022 to a projected 465 in 2023 uh, nearly a 100 point drop batting average of course i don't think anybody thinks he's hitting 324 again they're knocking 60 points off of that down to 264 and he's still uh, they're giving Christian Walker a bump in batting average a little bit. Yeah, they're regressing him a bit, but his WRC plus for Christian Walker coming down from one twenty two to one nineteen. They think he's going to be about the same guy, and with huge negative regression for Manessas, he's still projected to be the basically the same player as Christian Walker. That's what was really eye opening here, and if our Opponents in our leagues believe this. Joey Manessis is not going to be available in the top of the 19th round as he is right now. If people like this is bumping him up for me a little bit because of the pulling back and what appears to be a pretty conservative projection compared to what he did last season. And so this is going to move him up a little bit. Most definitely if people trust this, which there, there'll be somebody in most of our leagues that does.
1: That leads me to one of the questions like, yeah, does this do more to, for you to move Walker down your draft board uh, or does it do more to move Menezes up? And it sounds like it does more to move Menezes up.
2: Yes. If you want to, and especially if whether it was intentional or not, whether you missed out on Christian Walker or other first baseman or, Hopefully for our roster construction corner infielder, maybe even when we're getting to this point, we're filling a utility spot. Absolutely. It, it moves Joey Manessas up for me a little bit.
1: The one, the other positive thing about Manessas is that first and foremost, he didn't get an opportunity until he got traded to the Nationals. He played for a couple different organizations and nobody ever, he's 30 years old now, but in all estimations, he should be playing every single day for the Nationals next year and probably in the heart of the lineup, third, fourth, wherever they end up putting him. And Regardless of how bad the overall lineup will be, there's still value and there's still top 200 pick value in anybody who has the kind of power that he's shown in, in the heart of a lineup. And you have... They've already come out the Nationals have already come out and said that Victor Robles, CJ Abrams will be playing, will be everyday players for them next year. So if you have these guys who can find a way to set the table and get on base and Manessas can take advantage of that, he, he very well can hit that 91 RBI mark that Seamer has put it, put it forth for him with a 115 WRC plus. So an above average hitter overall after pick 200 is not something that typically stays around to your point. All right, let's move on to second base. Then one guy that's coming back from pretty much not playing at all for the most part last year is Ozzie Albies. He is currently the second baseman going off the board at overall pick 42. That is about the top of the fourth round. I want to compare him to somebody who's going to lose. He had dual eligibility. He's going to lose shortstop eligibility, and he'll be second base only as well as Glaber Torres of the Yankees. He's currently the eighth second baseman going off the board at pick 129, mid 11th round and 15 teamers. But Steamer thinks they're going to be pretty similar despite the seven round difference in draft, whether you believe in whether you believe Glaber going to be a starter slash everyday player for the Yankees. I think that probably plays a part in what you believe these, these rankings or these projections hold. But we got 20 to 23 home runs, 69 to 74 run scores, 73 to 80 RBIs. And I want to Specify all of the higher numbers are going to Glaber Torres in in these scenarios. And so they have the same amount of stolen bases at 13, 259 average for Albies and 262 average for Glaber. And Glaber with a good 40, 47 more plate appearances estimated. So Steamer thinks Glaber is going to be an everyday player. That is unless... Yankee fans have their way and they can find a way to trade him and a bag of balls for the best players in baseball, which it seems to be Glaber Torres is the new Clint Frazier in that regard. Or may- maybe he's the new Andahar. I'm not sure. Torres uh, for
2: Otani straight up.
1: Yeah. Straight up. Who says no? Who says no? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Depends who you ask, but these are second. This is the second. This is the apples to apples. Second base to second base. Does Albies have enough risk where you're skipping over him here, second base is of not a deep position as if you listen to pretty much any podcast so far, and it's not going to be not going to go away anytime soon. Second base is not deep. Do you, uh, if your plan is to sure up that position, are you, do you feel confident enough in these projections of Gleyber Torres to skip over somebody like Ozzy Albies and get this better production What was that, What did I say? Seven rounds later.
2: Yeah. And it, this is the point here. It is more than specifically between these two players. The answer, by the way, is yes. If we're trusting projections, which I'm really trying to do more and more each season, improve on that. Uh, absolutely. The answer is yes. As a whole at second base, it is not good because we've talked in the past about how many players have second base eligibility. And the drawback of that is a lot of second-base eligible players you need at other positions. So when we start looking at the second-base ADP, as of this recording, there are now 16 drafts included. As you said, Ozzy Albee's average at 42, his men 23 right now. Coming off of injury, some people are going to think they have to grab him there. And if you don't believe in Glaber Torres or some of the guys going in that range, the guy going right after Glaber Torres at the ninth, second base eligible player off the board is Jorge Polanco. And those of us that rostered him in 2022 aren't taking Jorge Polanco
1: there. That ADP, yeah, Polanco has a min of 74, a max of 193. That 193, I guarantee you, had Polanco on a team last year. Exactly.
2: (laughs) Or several people in that league did, and finally somebody just bit the bullet. Yeah. (laughs) And then we get into some more guys that are eligible at third base as well. You just say strictly, every one of these players that is eligible at second base is going to be in a fantasy lineup at second base in a 15 team league. We are looking at Jake Cronenworth and Whit Merrifield starting as a second baseman, not a middle infielder in fantasy baseball leagues. And if you go just a few spots later, because some of these guys will not be started at second base. They'll be started at shortstop, third base, outfield, maybe. We're, We're looking at Luis Arias who I like, I drafted him this weekend, but you're not getting, you're not getting like the few added home runs and stolen bases we got from him this season that we weren't really counting on. He's just our batting average stabilizer, but he is probably a starting second baseman in 15 team fantasy baseball leagues. The way they're being drafted right now with some of the other guys will be at different positions. That's how big the drop off is second base. If you haven't been convinced yet from, you you mentioned a lot of people have been talking about this. If you have not been convinced yet, that's what we're talking about. So the problem becomes going back to Ozzie and Glaber, Glaber might move up, right? As people draft. But my biggest groan of the draft I did on Saturday was when Altuve was taken right in front of me. I, at that point already sure. he's the third one off the board and already at that point i'm like oh i i'm already in trouble at second base at, at that point already uh, and he's the third one off the board so i think alby's adp will, will stay here he's going to be continued to be drafted very early and as you can tell if you're taking a look at the adp it's flop flip flop we're saying he's number two but him and Marcus Simeon are each being taken as the first, second baseman off the board. And then Altuve, who I just mentioned. And then there's a whole lot of question marks, even with the guys that are going in the fourth, fifth, seventh rounds here, the next few guys off the board. So I think Glaber is going to have enough believers. This, he does move up, but back once again to just point blank, answer your question. If I'm sure that I am going to do what I need to do and maybe bump him up a couple of spots to be able to get him, yeah, trust in the projections here. And I'd rather spend a third, second, third round pick on my, maybe my SP1, maybe a guy, um, uh, one of the bigger power bats that falls because he's not running and, and grab Glaber later.
1: I'm going to push back a little bit on something you said just a little while ago about these players that are getting they have only second base eligibility now right? You have a lot of players on the NFBC platform that lost their second eligibility. So you have Marcus Simeon, who's no longer a shortstop. Jazz Chisholm, no longer a shortstop. Trevor Story is no longer a shortstop. Cleaver Torres, no longer a shortstop. Polanco lost shortstop eligibility. Brandon Lowe lost his outfield eligibility. Muncie still has third base, but he lost his first base eligibility on some platforms. Josh Rojas, I think, had outfield eligibility. So if anything, a lot of these players, op- their option to draft them and put them somewhere else has gone away. That's true um, it's, for a lot of these guys. So yeah. I think a lot of these situations where you would have seen in the past somebody pick or push Jazz up a little bit because he you, you knew, I have flexibility now to put Jazz either at shortstop or at second base. Same thing with pretty much all the guys I just listed. That kind of goes away in, in the draft room now. So if you have a second baseman, and since shortstop is so... Deep of a position and has been for the last couple of years. Really, I think a good majority of teams are going to have shortstops penciled in as their middle infield position. So I think the second baseman's in there. I what I'm trying to say is I don't think is going to move up per se, based on the fact that there's not going to be a lot of people who are stretching to get two second basemen in the first first. 150 picks of a draft they're going to be focusing on other positions that they need to a little bit more and I'm sure there's going to be somebody who thinks that they're just trying to dilute the draft pool for other teams by grabbing maybe a, a back-to-back Trevor story and a Tommy Edmund and there's your second there's your shortstop eligibility but most of these guys except for Edmond the top 10 that are going are second base only eligibility but I can't see myself if I drafted Jose Altuve early on in the draft, being like, oh, I can't wait to get Glaber Torres later on and then be stuck with two second basemen. Something specifically would have ha- had to have happened in my draft to have him land in my lap and do that. Do you think that could... What's your take on that assessment?
2: No, I agree. I think there, as you said, there are a large number of players that the eligibility they retained is second base. I wish I could remember the exact numbers. Last season... It was, I want to say, over 50 players taken in the top 500. I think it was 54 or 55 players in the top 500 were eligible at second base. If that was correct, and I think it was. I wish I would have looked this up beforehand if I'd realized we were coming this way, it's 47 now. So the number has dropped, but you're right. The number of guys that are eligible only at second base now has risen. It's true
1: both ways. Something to consider if you're at, if you're near the end of a round. So if you're a 15 team or if you've got picks like 10, 11 or 12 or even 14, w- watch the roster builds of the teams that are on the turn or like in between you and your next pick. And if a good chunk of them all have second baseman, you at least know you can wait around before reaching for a Gleyber Torres or whoever you're going to go after at that point in the draft. But if there, are, if it gets to a point where there's only a handful of second basemen that you trust still on the board and they all have an opening at the position, you might have to jump up around, even if it's only five or six picks you still have to reach for that there. And you could start a run and then you could just let the rest of the turn pick up the rest of the second baseman in that little bubble. And then you'll have your pick of the litter on who you want to fill in your next position. So a lot of strategy involved there as far as knowing what your opponents are doing in the moment and how you can take advantage of that, especially in a slow draft where you have a little bit more time to analyze those things. All right, let's move over to third base. A lot of talk about third base drops off quickly as well. One of the, everybody's favorite, the, like the like push push up the rookies. It's more exciting. Gunnar Henderson, he's no exception. He is going as the eighth overall third baseman going off the board at overall nine, pick 97. So just inside the top 100 currently. That is about the top of the ninth round. Now, if we go a little further down, nine rounds further down, we have somebody that at one point kind of was everybody's, not sleeper, but people were really talking highly of them. And then just stopped and that's ryan mcmahon of colorado and i know how you feel about colorado hitters but we'll talk about it anyway he is going as the 19th third baseman so more than likely he is going to be drafted as someone's corner possibly somebody waits a little bit longer and grabs him as a starting third baseman but at pick 210 overall he's going in the top of the 18th round but you know what I know, like you mentioned with with Manessis, these younger players, guys who are younger than 30 years old, usually are brought down a little bit on these initial projections, especially with Steamer. At least that's the, the association that they have. Their projections right now, their plate appearances are close to identical, just right around 600 plate appearances each. Both of them getting 22 home runs. Gunner at 76 runs scored to McMahon 72, 78 RBIs for Henderson, 75 for McMahon, 10 bases for Henderson, and seven for McMahon. So McMahon can still chip in his fair share. Averages are pretty much even right hovering right around 250. This is a. Is there too much risk for a rookie who looks like a can't miss prospect playing in the AL East, which granted isn't going to have as much of a weight on it this year with the more balanced schedule moving forward versus Ryan McMahon, who plays in Colorado and can apparently, according to Steamer, can put up the same numbers as this can't miss. Very exciting prospect that everybody wants to grab as early as the eighth round top 100 pick.
2: Yeah, so for me, this is very format dependent and also then is going to vary widely per league. For somebody going as high as he is in a draft, Gunnar Henderson's men and max pick spread a long ways apart. His max is over double of what his men is. So he's gone as early as the end of the fourth round at pick 59, end of a 15 team. Board. He's also went in the 10th round. That's a huge gap, right? <laughs> so very league dependent here. I, I don't think I have the confidence. I know I don't have the confidence in a rookie to make this move at the end of the fourth round. If he's still there in the 10th round, like he has been in a league, completely different story and then when i say format dependent as you mentioned it's the rockies right i am not touching ryan mcmahon no matter how far he falls literally i will say that he will go undrafted in a league if i if it's up to me to draft him and it's weekly lineups because the home and away splits with coors field It is so dramatic. We know that. And we know we talked about it last season, how the schedule, at least for the last two thirds of the season, was very favorable. We knew how we knew when to have him in the lineup, when not to. Now, if you're in an NFBC format, when you look at the schedule for this upcoming 2023, for, it's not favorable for the weekly lineups until very late in the season. So for those in trade leagues, I think a lot of these Rockies are going to be trade targets at the deadline. I believe you get full Coors weeks, three of the last five weeks of the season. That'll be playoff time and head-to-head leagues. That'll be 60% of their games are at home for Roto leagues, and you can bench them two full weeks, play them three full league, weeks. That's great but not until mid-August does that come around. they don't have their first week of all home games till like week nine. so in weekly leagues like I said, not touching him other than if I could trade for him late. the flip side though this in NFBC formats, if you're willing to start him in, in, in a with a Monday Thursday off when he would have two starts and either way, it's still great. In the leagues where we can change our offensive lineups on Friday, we can get 80 of the Rockies, 81 home games out of Rockies players and zero road starts as the schedule sits right now. So you still get 78 of them, even if you don't use them that first half Monday through Thursday to start week. So this is really dependent Hugely on on format for me. So in FBC formats, yeah, I think Ryan McMahon is a player. Now, but you have to remember, you have to have his replacement on your roster for those weeks. Uh, Unless you're confident you can stream it. I definitely want him on my bench when they're playing on the road, each and every single time. Ballpark doesn't matter. It's about ball movement. I don't care they're playing in Cincinnati. I still don't want him in my lineup. And then, like I said, with Gunnar Henderson, the difference in men and max picks is so drastic here. It depends a lot on in, uh, in league. In general, this does give me interest in Ryan McMahon in those leagues where I don't have to have him in my lineup all the time. This looks absolutely wonderful, get, getting him in, in the 18th round uh, or so. That, that's really nice. But it's got to be a format and a situation I'm prepared for to know. I'm making these moves every week for the most part throughout right. the season. One half he's playing, the other half he's not. How much time do you want to put into maintaining your team? That,
1: That's what it comes down. one of oh, those absolutely. situations. Besides the fact that he's, you don't want him in your lineup when he's outside of course, you got to also keep in mind that Ryan McMahon ultimately is a platoon player. He's got yes. the strong side. He's not batting. Go look at his game logs. He did not play against most lefties, at least in the second half of the season. And for good reason. I think 228 was his batting average against lefties last year. And so th- that's not something sub- like in those scenarios that you're talking about. Even if he has those two games in cores, if he's facing, he, there's no guarantee he plays both those games. If there's a if lefty the on the If the Dodgers are in
2: town, he's probably not playing until exactly. Friday. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. uh We don't know what the rotation looks like in LA next year, but uh, they could go righty heavy next year. We'll see. um Yeah, McMahon's somebody that you're not drafting as your starting third baseman. So th- this is not an apples to apples. You are drafting Gunnar Henderson as your starting third baseman if you're picking him where he's going in that top hundred picks, unless you went really heavy and you picked a Machado in the first round, but you really want to get Gunnar Henderson. He's your corner. That's not going to happen in most scenarios and most drafts. Do you think, though, based on these these projections alone, if somebody is going strictly at projections, like you said, you're trying to do a little bit more Colorado aside, is this doing more to push Gunner down or push Ryan? And I know you said Gunners already has such a has a big window of min-max picks he's going down in a lot of cases anyway but on average or is it going to do more to move McMahon up as people start seeing? oh I can get the same kind of production later on in the draft out of him maybe I push him up a little bit more
2: in some of these drafts there there's not much room to be pushing Gunner up how much higher can you push a guy going into fourth round when I think even if you think the projections are light even if you think he's a 25 15 guy in it in his rookie season uh not, still not pushing him not up pushing. much further so he would have to i know your question was coming down it's so hard to tell i think the average probably stays about the same but the men in the max narrow or not change from what they are but as the drafts continue he won't get as close to that that max anymore for sure i don't think he's dropping at at all people are really excited about him man it's a blah guy i i think which is once again format in a format where in my mind rocky's hitters are useful that's great the old boring he's older oh sure he's been around a while now he's not there young he's not gunner henderson's not
1: the rocky I'm style the rocky style right. play those young guys anyway so
2: so this i think in a format where you can manipulate the home away splits to your advantage i think ryan mcmahon is somebody that i i might bump up a little bit especially i don't think it's quite as awful as the perception was last year and now we're talking about second base dropping off pretty quickly outfield in five outfield leagues. Outfield is as bad as I can remember it being. Uh, So when we start talking about third base, if you miss out, Gunnar Henderson is the eighth third baseman off the board. There's, it's not like there's somebody going after him that doesn't have question marks themselves. Once you get past Austin Riley, Nolan Arenado, Bregman, Gunnar Henderson probably makes sense. Uh, and I know it obviously does for a lot of people uh, as the next third baseman off the board. There are a lot of question marks coming already at that point. So Ryan McMahon in a format where you can do the manipulating that that I believe you need to be able to do. Yeah, going at 19 third baseman off the board, that, that's appealing to me.
1: It's just a lot of work, a lot of work on your roster. If you roster somebody like McMahon, to your point, Anderson at ADP of 97, next one down Cabrian Hayes, 150. So over 50 picks later, it's a big, it's a big drop in when you have to consider the next one. So if you're put it this way. If you don't grab a third baseman by the time Henderson comes off the board, don't feel as though you have to <laughs> push yourself to grab a third baseman right after Henderson goes. More than likely, you've got some time. Hayes' min pick is 106, and so that's a min, and 127 for Eugenio Suarez going after him as well. So you've got some time to think about third base a little bit harder since you haven't thought about him enough in the first after the first eight go off the board. All right, let's move to the deepest position, at least as a consensus. It seems as though everybody thinks that's the way, but I'm not going to talk about the guys I have listed here are not your top tier guys. These are guys that either you might even be considering them for your middle, at least one of them for sure. The other one has been a top option for years now, but has dropped off, at least according to ADP. That's Tim Anderson of the White Sox, who missed a bunch of time at the end of the season last year. He's currently going as the ninth shortstop off the board, 78th overall, top of the seventh round. I want to compare his steamer projections to Nico Horner who has shortstop eligibility only right now, though the Cubs have announced that they plan on playing him every day at second base. So he should gain second base eligibility later on, which may or may not push up hit But people know that already. So I'm not sure that's affected his ADP specifically. He's currently going as the 18th shortstop off the board, pick 158. 13th round, end of the 13th round. So we're going well six and a half rounds later for Nico Horner compared to Tim Anderson. Anderson with the estimated 646 top of the lineup is assuming he's going to be at the top of that Chicago White Sox lineup. That makes sense to have 646 plate appearances, 16 home runs, 82 runs, 62 RBIs. Of course, you're not going to get as many RBIs sitting at the top of a lineup. Teen stolen bases, which I feel is a little low for what people hope to get out of Tim Anderson, at least based on the fact that he is one year older coming back from injury. I understand it. A 285 average through 646 plate appearances will definitely make a big difference to your average, at least a bigger one for those who are only getting you 500 or so plate appearances. Nico Horner, in comparison, only 616. So still over the 600 plate appearance mark, just 12 home runs, 75 runs, 59 RBI. So those counting stats are pretty close in line just a shy lower for nico with the cubs but 18 stolen bases and that's w- probably what you're drafting nico for at this point in a draft and the fact that you can get the same amount according to steamer the same amount of stolen bases out of go uh, this later in the draft without hurting your average he's estimated to have a 280 average and which is right in line with what he ended up hitting last year at 281 through 517 plate appearances. Maybe this isn't apples to apples. Again, Tim Anderson may be your starting shortstop if you are drafting him. You could very easily draft both of these guys, have Nico being in your middle or on your bench in your uh, on your UT spot if you're looking for that extra speed. But are you seeing the production out of Tim Anderson as, well, this isn't Tim Anderson who I, th- I thought I was going to be getting in the past, there's no point in grabbing him here. I can just wait and grab Nico Horner later and get close to, if not very similar production.
2: Yeah. I, so when we talk about trusting projections, the, the number one caveat that we typically bring up is unless you have a, a really good reason to adjust the playing time. Do is there anybody that really thinks Tim Anderson's going to get anywhere close to 646 plate appearances? He's I at think, the
1: top of the lineup all year long.
0: Right. Sure.
2: <laughs> but d- d- does anybody think that's going to happen? He's going to be at the top of the lineup, but I don't think I don't think any of us believe he's going to get the number of games to get there. And this is one of those situations I'll be curious to see. When I do put a number on this for plate appearances, diving in, when we start looking at Derek Rhodes stuff and some of the other guys and start saying, okay, with this injury history, there's a lot more information out there, thanks to Derek and others, about what we can expect for playing time going forward. I'm not so sure when I make those adjustments, Nico Horner doesn't come out ahead of Tim Anderson straight up without the round difference. And I also like that the power categories here, the improvement over last season is very modest in the projections. And I'm not going to account for more, but for a 24 going into age 25 season, it wouldn't surprise us to see a little bit bigger bump. So 100%. Now, maybe as you mentioned, I'd feel much better if Nico Horner is my middle. But in in a lot of leagues, he's gonna be drafted as someone starting shortstop, I believe, here, just due to the speed, right? He was one of the names that came up pretty early in the draft on Saturday because the speed was disappearing, as we see all the time. He's also one of those mid range guys that that I'm in agreement with those believe these are the guys that are gonna take advantage of the rules changes. So I don't know if these this ADP stays. But as long as it's anywhere close to this, 10 times out of 10, I'd rather have Nico Horner than Tim Anderson.
1: What's nice about the Seamer projections is they also come along with the Seamer 600 projections. So you can take... You could, like you are saying, if you were to adjust the playing time, how does that adjust the counting stats and all of that? They do that in a rough way with the 600s. So as I mentioned their actual projections are at 646 and I think 617 for Nico, 646 for Tim Anderson. If we don't expect Anderson to do that, you can at least knock them down to 600 by looking at the projections. And if you do that, if they're on the same playing field, as far as playing time goes, Nico definitely comes out ahead. Maybe a couple more home runs for Tim Anderson, 15 versus. Versus 11. But now all of a sudden Nico Horner is stealing more bases than Tim Anderson. He's scoring the same amount of runs as Tim Anderson. Sorry, he's knocking in as many runs as Tim Anderson. He's still scoring less because maybe he's not at the top of the lineup for the Cubs, as opposed to Tim Anderson is at the top of the lineup for the White Sox across Chicago. But if we're not expecting that kind of plate appearances for Tim Anderson, you can already see that go down down. And I don't think Tim Anderson brings enough to the table where you can compensate for his missed time easily enough. There are some guys like you can draft Sean Carlos Stanton and know that when he's playing, he's going to hit you home runs. Mm-hmm. You can't say the same thing about Tim Anderson, if, especially if he gets hurt again throughout the season. Who's to say when he does come back, he's still going to steal bases. You, yeah. you don't know that he's the type of player he, he's going to want to. I'm sure. But whether or not that'll be advised, I think, is is the big question mark.
2: And it, and it wasn't as bad as with his teammate, Luis Robert, like we were talking last week with Carlos. But there was plenty of times Tim Anderson was not on the I.L., but he also was not in the lineup. That was the worst. <laughs> it, it is the worst. There's nothing worse than fantasy baseball. I didn't Especially have much. Especially when it happens on Tuesday, right after early in the week. And then you're stuck with them at least till Friday, depending on format. Yeah.
1: All right. Second shortstop. You have lots of options here. Hopefully Tim Anderson is not the one that you are relying on to be your shorting shortstop. And at that point in the top 100, I better, like I said last week, I want to be very confident about whoever my number one is at every position. Tim Anderson is not somebody I feel confident as my number one. And I'm not, I'm probably not drafting my middle infielder in the top 100 personally. All right, let's move the outfield. As you said, it's as scarce as you've ever seen it. We've got One very exciting name that everybody's pushing up, I call him like the Bobby Witt of this year, just because he's barely played. It's a little different. Bobby Witt didn't play at all last year. He was still getting pushed up into the sixth, seventh round. Corbin Carroll did play a little bit last year. He played just enough to retain his rookie eligibility, just like Gunnar Henderson did. And so he should be playing from the jump so that Arizona can try to get that compensation for rookie of the year that's if he produces the way steamer thinks he's going to produce i don't think he's going to give arizona <laughs> the co- compensation that they're hoping for with a 524 plate appearances 18 home runs 61 runs and 61 RBIs 15 stolen bases is nice sure but it all comes with a 242 average now this is one of the bigger jumps that i've made here and you say what you want about it i just the numbers were way too similar not to utilize this. Jake Fraley. Okay. Now in Cincinnati, which is nice, 495 plate appearances. So only about 30 less plate appearances than Carroll. 19 home runs, 59 runs, 60 RBI. So right in line with Carroll, only nine stolen bases. Still the difference of six at that point in the draft, whoop de doo and a 236 average in less plate appearances. He is going in the mid of the 26th round. That is overall 313, the 76th over outfielder off the board compared to Carroll being the 17th, going at pick 66 overall. So we are talking a 20-round difference. This is literally the why pick Corbin Carroll in the sixth round when you can wait 20 rounds later and pick Jake Fraley. So tell me, Kevin, why should I not do that?
2: Yeah, this is such a large gap. I don't think the conversation is here is why take Corbin Carroll when you can get Jake name. <laughs> However, let's be responsible no, uh, right? with but, this. This, but the point is still similar. One, definitely in, in our five outfield leagues, and, and even in the three outfield leagues, we need more outfielders. Right where, where this is a catcher, where it's uh, that's typically their only spot other than a couple of players and that there's a select few. But when you start adding that we need multiple of these guys, it kind of alters it a little bit. The point remains the same. And I think Fraley is obviously a nice value at the moment. He went pretty quite a bit earlier than this in my draft Saturday. Like I said, the speed started disappearing. The outfielders started disappearing. We only drafted 23 rounds and he was drafted way before we we're done. So he didn't make it till the mid 26th. But I think, yeah, the point remains the same. We're looking some here. I think those drafting Corbin Carroll above his average and closer to that men feel he's going to have way more than the 15 stolen bases that he's being projected for. I think this is a case where there's gonna be plenty of people that don't trust the projections in this spot. So if I am going to, and so far with Steamer, this is the case, if this is where it looks like others are projecting him for stolen bases, and he pretty much ends up out of the picture for me, unless I'm fortunate enough to have him in a keeper dynasty league.
1: See, even if you just take the stolen bases and increase the stolen bases on this projection, okay, if that's what everybody's thinking is wrong with this particular projection, look at the re- Look at everything else. How many stolen bases does he have to get to justify grabbing him? Where he's been, where he's been going? It's not a big window in max spec. He's going at forty-eight to ninety-one, so that averages out to sixty-six in the sixteen drafts that have completed. He's going right before. Garcia, who has a slightly lower min pick as well, and he's going a couple a couple outfielders later than teammate Dalton Varsho. Like I, I'd probably rather have Varsho for the for other reasons, namely the catcher eligibility. But he's already shown the kind of the output that you're hoping to get out of Carroll. Yeah, how many stolen bases do you think you need to in order to justify this pick?
2: I, I don't know, but we're going to jump ahead. I know we're still going to talk about some pitchers, and we're not done on these two players maybe quite yet I'm gonna jump ahead my final thoughts are gonna be the middle of the episode thoughts today <laughs> <I> like it <laughs> don't assume what that number is don't just think that you can say oh uh, even some of the analysts that I absolutely love I don't like it when they say oh I got to give this guy a bump a few spots that's not what I want the first thing I do when I choose a I do it with all projections, but definitely with the one you feel like you want to give the most credence to. You download it to a spreadsheet. You very simply change all of these to per plate appearance. You make your plate appearance changes and you see where they come out. When it doesn't have anything to do with plate appearances, if you just think in these 524 plate appearances, Corbin Carroll steals 25 bases. Change that 15 to 25. Resort the total number and see where he moves to. Don't think 25 stolen bases moves him up two rounds. Look and see what 10 more stolen bases moves him to. So I don't know the specific answer to your question, but this is something, this is one of my things that i am most adamant about in in my off-season research is putting the number on it and seeing what that is and so i haven't done this yet maybe but prior to uh sunday's episode dropping this is something we can revisit in our next episode and, and and i could have a more concrete answer for your question see how many stolen bases he needs everything else staying the same i guess you'd probably need to assume that would give him a few more runs scored as well and see what that is see where he needs to be to justify his adp for me
1: yeah i mean i think that's i think that's a logical explanation of how to utilize these projections whatever one you trust the most like you said you do have to be careful we say it all the time you can't extrapolate like if somebody plays somebody does certain production in 300 plate appearances they're not necessarily going to double that in 600 plate appearances i think a word of caution when you are manipulating that per plate appearance number, the further you get away from changing that plate appearance, the playing time probably stretches out the reliability of the total numbers that you're seeing, especially on the counting stats. Obviously, not maybe not so much the average, in the slash line, what have you, but definitely the counting stats. This is every situation, obviously, is going to be different. That being said, I'm very curious, like. I get why people are excited, Carol. I understand it. It's the same reason we were excited about uh, Miles Straw. We talked about it last episode. It's for the stolen bases. Carol's a much better hitter in all accounts that Straw was. But if we are going with a more toned down expectation of a rookie in Major League Baseball, which I know last year was fun. We had a lot of really fun players break out. A lot more than we normally see to the extent that we saw it between Julio Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, even Bobby Witt. Even though Bobby Witt had a 99 WRC plus, his fantasy stats were getting him drafted in the first round this year. Michael Harris, the list goes on and on. You don't normally have a list that goes on and on with these rookies that come up. It is nice that Carroll got a, a large cup of coffee at the end of last season. That being said, if I'm drafting somebody and I'm telling myself, listen, he has to do X, Y, and Z to get the value out of this pick, then he's not the pick for me. It, I want to be able to get as much value out of every pick as I can. I'm not all, that's not always going to be the case. It all depends on what, how confident I am on where they're going to hit the certain projections or certain stat line that I'm expecting. But to see Carol go above and beyond this projection that we're seeing at a steamer, and again, like you said, it's the first one. Who's to say the bad X comes up with something different? ATC, obviously, he's going to put them all together.
2: I just did a quick thing here. And to to your point, are you going to expect him to do what he needs to do? His projections uh, of a 242 batting average make this okay. Bobby Witt Jr., who you brought up, right, finished as the fifth overall third baseman. Just I did it quick, so it's a lot of default. I think it's still stuck on 12 teams, but it's given us a general idea earned about $20 and at his men 48 that's where we saw Bobby Witt jr going in March he had moved Mm -hmm. up he was definitely a fourth early fourth even and sometimes late third round draft pick so that's what we're talking about at Corbin Carroll's current draft position for his men I should say his men draft pick right now and I think because of the speed component and because of the way we phrased this, this was stemming from me saying the people that like this are not going to buy that he's only gonna steal 18 bases or whatever it is. So Bobby Witt Jr. was 2030 with a similar batting average. So do you expect Corman Carroll to do what Bobby Witt Jr. did? That's what he has to do. To he has to be Bobby Witt in the outfield. There. Yep. Yep. He has to do that to justify this pick. And that's tough. What was Bobby Witt Jr., the third or fourth rookie to ever do that? So I don't know if that can be an expectation. He also has to do that. It's definitely a possibility, but I don't know if it can be an expectation.
1: He also has to do that not only in the outfield, but in the Arizona outfield, who they have more than enough mouths to feed at this stage. Varsho is going to be playing mostly in the outfield, going to be backup the backup at the catcher position alec thomas we saw what mccarthy did last year they've got more mouths to feed there and i think that is represented in the steamer projection of only 524 plate appearances i don't think he has to
2: to bump that and people are going to want to Yeah.
1: yeah exactly oh it's only 520 plate appearances obviously he's gonna if you bump it up to 600 then yeah he'll get 20 those 20 25 stolen bases sure I don't think that's a fair assessment. Now, Jake Fraley on the other end. <laughs> yeah. I love me, Jim, Jake Fraley. I, yes, I agree. I am not drafting Corbin Carroll so that I can get Jake Fraley 20 rounds later. I don't have to do that. That's ridiculous. But uh, I, the plate appearances for based on any kind of platoon that he might be put in Cincinnati is baked into that as well. And for him to be able to still put up the same numbers that they think Carroll's going to in Cincinnati, I'm on board with that. i like, I, I love, Me some Jake Fraley in general, not as my outfield one, two, three. Maybe my four. Maybe in this scenario, in in this market, he is an outfield four. But more than likely, that going that late in drafts, and like you said, he's not actually going to go that late in drafts. If your draft is any indication, his min pick, at least on record, is still at two fifty five, averaging it out at three thirteen. And if you and if yours went before the twenty third, before the twenty third round, he's going he's probably going to end up as a more than a few teams third outfielder in, in in different situations. But the fact that you can get that kind of production out of somebody that late in a draft is really nice.
2: Yeah. This is a guy to keep an eye on in spring training for sure, or at least check on Mike Curlin's lineup watch in spring training. He spent a lot of time in the cleanup spot earlier in the season, but still second half. He spent quite a bit of time leading off. That's going to matter, even though they're both top half of the lineup, because I think most people when drafting Fraley are counting on a few of those stolen bases at this point. He's a, a very affordable power speed combo guy. And I think that lineup position could affect which one we think he'll get more of or will be adjusted a little more.
1: Trying to get through what ails him at this point. Batting mostly in the four spot, as you mentioned. He had a couple of stints at the end of the year in the two hole for Cincinnati after moving over there. But if he can find a way to be an everyday player in Cincinnati, I do like where he's going. All right, we do have some pitchers to talk about. I do think that Kevin, we should we should hold off on that. We should we should hold that to maybe the Sunday, maybe we'll push that into next week as well as we can dive a little bit more into the these projections. I think we talked about quite a few nice little hitters. So I know we measure you, you don't want to
2: double the hour and a half we're already at here on this podcast? I don't
1: mind, but this is <laughs> a good opportunity to extend our episode numbers so that we can get to 100 that much faster. I love uh, it. <laughs> all right. I think that's going to do it. Kevin already gave his mid-episode uh, thoughts, well, if It you ended will. up
2: being final thoughts. That's great. It worked yeah, out. Yeah, there you go.
1: Ended up just as we planned it. All right, yeah, we'll have another episode coming out on Sunday as we tend to do. Maybe we'll talk about these pitchers. Maybe we'll talk about something different. There's so much that you can take away from First Pitch Arizona. I'm sure there's something else we could take away from that and turn into a whole episode as well. Kevin, what's now that you're not surrounded by baseball at all hours of the day and you're going to be done talking to me at least for the next like 36 to 72 hours? How are you going to fill your time with baseball? Yeah, unfortunately,
2: <laughs> Back to reality i do have a few things to get caught up on at home that are non-baseball but get them done as, as soon as possible and start looking at the spreadsheets man
1: get Right back to that yeah, yeah.
2: well uh- and i have put off drafting more than in the past That's true uh, and so i one thing i did notice when i was looking at the lobby this morning there's typically not the express draft champions drafts until january or so where you're like a one minute time clock sure there's one november 14th with Derek, is what it says so wow. I said he's moderating it I it must have just been added this morning because then i looked that no one had signed up yet but i bet that fills quickly that will be a popular one
1: yeah i'm looking at that now there are a lot more oh yeah they filled in All of these that weren't there before. You can sign up for the main event. You can sign up for ultimates. You can sign up for all of them now. There's 50s. There weren't 50s in there before either. Um,
2: Yeah. So here we go. That's the answer to the question. We're going to be drafting. (laughs) Are you going to fill your time? Oh,
1: I'll find something. I'll find something. Yeah, exactly. so then we have our draft. Hopefully our drafts can get kicked yeah. off. My goal, and it might still be the case, there are obviously other satellite leagues and other things that we don't get to see in the lobby, but my goal was that we would be able to kick off the first fab league draft on the NFBC platform, at least that we know of. And I haven't seen one fill up yet, like a main event qualifier. You did the first main event qualifier last year, and that wasn't until December. Yeah, pretty um, late December, actually. So, so we have a chance at that. So if you haven't signed up, again, make sure you sign up for that. Kevin and I will be, at least one of us will be in every draft room, if not both of us. So look forward to uh, taking care of business there and uh, seeing what we can do in the in overall with hopefully double the amount of teams going on in next year's uh, listener leagues. All right, that's going to wrap it up for episode 85 of On The Wire. We are back. Every Sunday, like I said, as today is an example of, we will have some bonus episodes throughout the off season as well. We'll be adding insights and analysis on all the offseason trudges, so please make sure to subscribe, share, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grade. It's all spelled out. Kevin is at hasting. Kevin, of course, follow the pod at on the wire Pod. After all that, I am Adam Howe, and on behalf of Kevin Hasting. thanks for listening bid you goodbye.